Hey Tea Crew, and welcome to a brand new episode of Tea Talk with Shaw. Today we're going to be talking about all the trending topics all over social media and the internet. And we're also going to be talking about the flaming hot Cheeto scam. What went down and how did no one find out for over 20 years? You're not going to want to miss this. Stay tuned. All right, Tea Crew, I hope your mugs are ready because there's a lot to... um, recap this week. Things have been going on. I am recording today from sunny, peaceful Maryland. I'm out here visiting my in-laws. So if things sound a little bit different, that is why. But let's get right into this tea. So the first thing, Shikari Richardson, the fastest woman in the world, will not be competing in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Um, after her trial race, they did a you know routine drug test and uh, Shikari tested positive for cannabis. Um, and you know, having tested positive for cannabis, she will not be able to run in the Olympics this year. And there were a lot of mixed feelings about it. You know, some people saying that since cannabis is legal in 16 states, it shouldn't be included with the test subjects for the other things they test for, like steroids and opioids and other drugs. You know, and then some people are in the mind of, well, she prepared for the race. Why would you do that to your lungs and stuff like that if you're a racer? Or why would you be taking part in things like that if you knew you were going to have to face a drug test? Now, this isn't the first time this has happened. A lot of Olympic athletes are young people. And so, you know, this is not something that's wild or out of the imagination that people would do. So um, when this happened with Michael Phelps, the famous um, gold medal, the famous gold medalist swimmer, he was basically told that he would not be able to compete in um, that year's Olympics as well. And, you know, he didn't lose brand deals or anything like that. But I distinctly remember that Michael Phelps had tested positive for cannabis and he was not going to be swimming. But see, the difference was when Michael was swimming, this was his second or third Olympics that he had participated in. And then he tested positive for cannabis. So he was already an Olympic gold medalist. You know, he already had a lot of things lined up for him versus um, Shikari is only 19. And I think she would have been eligible maybe last year. But of course, with COVID um, and the global pandemic and all the things surrounding it, there were no Olympics. So because there was no Olympics last year, it's like, OK, so now we have to push it back. And so this is her only opportunity. This was her first opportunity, I should say, God, not only. (laughs) This was her first opportunity to qualify um, to run in the Olympics. So, you know, Shikari is kind of taking it in stride. She's been doing some uh, media and, um, you know, she's been telling her side of the story that she's human. Unfortunately, she just suffered the loss of her biological mother. um, And she was, you know, in her words, she was smoking to cope with that. I don't know. And I'm, this has to be a real unpopular opinion. And don't get me wrong. I am as proud of her as I was then. But I just feel like with all the preparation that you put into this race, all of the trying, all of the practices, all the hours on the track, how could something so small come before all your preparation? You know what I mean? Like wanting to smoke or wanting to do something that you know could cost you everything. I just, 
I don't know. In my opinion, I just feel like, how could you do all of that work? But like she said, she's human. And so, you know, maybe she knew in her mind, of course, I shouldn't be doing this, but this is the only thing that really helps me cope with the loss of my mother. So I, I mean, I have no idea how that pain feels and I know she was really going through it, but I just would have loved to see her, um, on that Olympic track, but I'm hopeful that she will, um, you know, be able to run in trials in the future and be able to be in future Olympics as she has promised that she would. So we're looking forward to that. All right, moving on to the next topic. Oh God, this one kills me. So if we haven't learned anything from Sharon Osbourne inserting herself into that Pierce situation and getting herself kicked off the talk, it's like, these people will just not mind their own business. So Bill Cosby was basically let out of jail on a technicality um, in relation to his rape and drugging case that he's been battling for the last few years. And he was in prison for it. He got off on a technicality um, and Felicia Rashad took to her social media instantly and supported Bill Cosby and also called the trial of miscarriage of justice and she just went on and on that this miscarriage of justice has been corrected basically you know spitting in the face of the victims who basically just found out that their um their abuser was getting let out of jail so um Felicia Rashad had just been named uh, I think fine arts chair or some kind of fine arts dean I believe it is at Howard University and Howard came out with a statement and said they stand by you know we do not take sexual assault lightly and we also don't you know necessarily stand by the comments of our deans and professors or whatever it was basically a cover-up move for the tweets that Felicia Rashad had put out directly after the verdict was overturned so then Felicia took to her social media to try to clear it up that, you know, sexual assault and, um, you know, sexual abuse has been, she's been, she's seen it firsthand in her own family. And, you know, she believes, you know, she stands by and supports victims. I just feel like the kind of behavior that she displayed did not stand by and or support victims. And a lot of students, you know, Howard and a lot of their students are calling for her um, dismissal from the position of fine arts dean. I just think that whether that you were supporting your friend or not, whether you think he did it or not, right after the verdict overturned is not the time for you to basically tweet and rub it in the face of a lot of people who are hurting um, in that moment of him being released, a lot of people had mixed emotions. A lot of people were hurting. A lot of people felt as though, you know, he should be released from jail and he didn't do it. But there were also a lot of people who felt like on a technicality, that's nothing to be celebrated. And I feel like that's the bucket that I fell into. If, you know, God forbid somebody came forward and said, I was lying, this never happened to me, or, you know, this did happen to me, but it just wasn't him or something like that. And they were able to come up with hardcore evidence. And then the verdict was overturned and then he was released from prison. That's a whole different thing than somebody getting off on a procedural technicality and then you turning around and praising him as if they told, you know, he, he came off innocent, you know, he's not innocent in this. Um, so she might be losing her job and a lot of people feel as though she's able to voice her opinion. But like we talked about on this podcast, plenty and plenty of times when you're a public figure, 
and you have that kind of platform, it's not just your opinion, your opinion. You know, you are a celebrity, you are a, um, a public figure, you're someone that people, a lot of people can access your content. People have seen you growing up, seen both of you on their TVs. And, you know, this is the kind of example that you're setting. And I feel like, especially when it pertains to dealing with young people in college, you want deans, professors, um, student liaisons, guidance counselors, you want everybody to be that's involved with those children to be on the side of victims. You just don't want somebody in there who's wishy-washy, who, you know, doesn't care about victims, who's basically on the fence, you know, when it comes to people speaking their truth. You don't want that for young people. You really don't, because these are the kind of issues, unfortunately, that they're facing, especially when you go to a huge school and people are drinking and all that good stuff. So basically what I'm trying to say is mind your business, people have your opinions. That's that's a text message she could have sent to him. She did not have to tweet that out. And Stephanie Mills, we saw you as well. Y'all just oh. All right, so the next topic, <laughs> Erica Mena airs out Caitlin Garcia and her ex-husband, Safari. So basically, yesterday was uh, the 4th, but it was also air out Sunday for some people. Erica Mena um, airing out Caitlin Garcia is one of them. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, that name sounds familiar. Caitlin Garcia is the ex-girlfriend of Joe Budden. She was on Love and Hip Hop, and they also went on Celebrity Boot Camp together, um, Celebrity Marriage Boot Camp together, even though they were still dating or whatever the case. So she's been on reality TV for a while now, and Erica Mena is calling her out, you know, for hanging out and, um, you know, being with her ex-husband, who is also friends with Joe Budden, who is her ex-boyfriend, Caitlin Garcia's, and also she you know, expose the fact that unfortunately her baby son is in the NICU and has been since his birth and that Safari hasn't seen his son in four days. Um, and she also just basically said how messy it is to be dating somebody who is, um, filing and separated, but not fully divorced. So, you know, we've seen that play out several times. I feel like Erica is hurt, but, um, at the same time, you know, some people might think four days isn't much that he's seen his child within the week, but when your child's in the NICU, you know, that's a very serious thing. And most parents would be there every day and, you know, not to parent shame anybody, but when you're not there, it's usually to work or, you know, get done things that you really have to get done so you can be by your child's side, not hang out, you know, with another woman while you're still technically married. So she aired him out. Then Lil Duvall comes in with his jokes as per usual. And, um, you know, they get into it and she calls him all types of names and stuff. But this is the thing. Another example of people just, you know, you saw her going off. He saw Erica going off and he decided to insert himself in the situation and basically say that she was suffering from postpartum and, you know, she needs to basically log off of her devices. And I was like, oh, sir, postpartum is a very serious thing that should not be made fun of or made light of or made a joke of so when he said that he just basically made himself a human target because not just erica women in general were coming for that tale um 
they go back and forth. And I just feel for Erica because I'm like, you know, this is content for Lil Duvall. He's a comedian. He's a social media presence. You know, there's no such thing as bad press. He's out here getting all the numbers and you're just getting yourself worked up when you already have, like you said, out of your own words, so many things that you need to worry about. Like you're divorcing him. Let that man do what he does. You be there for your child and be the best mother you can be for your two. You know what I mean? Or I think she has three, um, three children, two with Safari. Just do, be the best mom you can be and let the chips fall where they may. You know, God forbid something happens to that baby. That'll be on him, you know. So anyway, moving on to the next topic. Um, and, you know, we wish the baby the best and the both of them the best. Don't want to forget that. We hope that he, you know whatever he's in there for makes a full recovery and he's able to live his little happy baby life. <laughs> All right, now we can move on. Um, there were the pipe. So basically over the week, last week, there was an underwater pipeline that burst and caused one of the biggest sea fires of all time the sea fire was huge it had five or six different um boats surrounding it yachts per se you know ships surrounding it spraying water on it and the pipeline burst from within so it was just a crazy underwater sea fire if you haven't seen the pictures definitely um look into the hashtag off the Gulf of Mexico, hashtag Gulf of Mexico or hashtag super sea fire. I think they're calling it. And that thing was explosive. It really looks like a Marvel movie or something. And I was just like, this has to be the end of days. Like this looks so wild and crazy. So I had to put that in there. If you guys haven't seen it yet, go look at that. And I think that also, if you're interested in, um, legislation or things that are going on in politics joe budden joe budden wow (laughs) president joe biden just signed in um some more bills and legislation against um pipelines that go underwater and i think this was a main example of why we don't want to continue to have these because this was insane um how it looked and probably the effect that it had on the sea life like imagine being underwater and catching on fire like how did that even happen it's crazy i don't even know (laughs) all right next topic wedding alert there's some couples that got married we're gonna go through them and get into some some of this wedding tea so gwen stefani and blake shelton the voice couple um as people call them because they're both voice judges when they became you know really close and working with each other and stuff and they wed this weekend after six years together they had a private ceremony um i don't think this was either of their first marriages but they've been dating for a long time so We're extremely happy for the voice couple and we wish them all the best in the future. And also Tracy Braxton's son from Braxton Family Values. He had been on there um, several times. Uh, I think she calls him Junior and he had been on the show several times with his mom. Him and his longtime girlfriend and child's mother got married over the long weekend. But the talk of the media and the social media wasn't his wedding. It was his mother, Tracy. She was in the photos looking cute and had nice little dreads and stuff in her hair, but she was looking to be a lot thinner than the last time that fans saw her on the reality show. And I would honestly just say, you know, the the Braxtons have been having a lot of trouble, especially with their reality show. And I think the last time they filmed had to be 
over like a year and a half ago. So I think people seeing her now looking thinner, it's like, well, the last time you saw her was late, um, was late 2019. You know, they barely filmed in 2020. They filmed a little bit in, in 2020, but most of the filming of Braxton Family Values for that short season they just had was from 2019 footage that they couldn't get released and then a little bit of 2020 because, you know, Trina's wedding was in the winter of 2019. So just saying um, that could be why Trina, I mean, Tracy looks so different in her son's wedding photos because they just got married this weekend. So, I mean, we hope nothing's wrong, of course, but I just don't think that that's anything super crazy that she could have lost about 20 it looks like she lost about 20 or 30 pounds in the last year and a half I think that's pretty healthy and normal all right so the next topic still going strong now these couples are either headed for the aisle or not but they are definitely still going strong since the last time we checked in on them so that's uh Portia and Simon they were spotted this weekend celebrating their um engagement with their family and friends in a beautiful um, party that Simon threw for his soon-to-be bride. (laughs) Those two killed me. I mean, they just, you know, if I really don't care was a person, like, they don't care. They're happy together. They post each other. They're celebrating their love. And it's just like, all right, you know, more power to you, I guess. Everybody's kind of pushing forward and moving on. Fallon's, you know, chilling with her boo and They got the twin flame energy like she posted. So I guess all is well in the A. All is well in the A. (laughs) Um, Michael B. Jordan and Lori Harvey steamed up social media this weekend with their posts. Um, They went on some type of island vacation for the 4th of July. So they're still pushing and going strong. And Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez have been posting up PDA everywhere and just yesterday they were walking through their new neighborhood because rumor is J-Lo has now moved out there where Ben Affleck is um and looking for homes to to buy but I think she's renting something now and they were spotted wearing matching outfits and such so they're still going strong too everybody's going strong and in love (laughs) and these are trending topics this week stay tuned for our sports report hello 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 out there and welcome to the sports update with j rob today i will be covering the nba so let's get started with some nba playoff action the 2021 nba finals are set The Phoenix Suns defeated the L.A. Clippers four games to two in the Western Conference Finals, and they are headed to their first finals appearance since 1993. And in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Atlanta Hawks four games to two, and they are headed to their first NBA Finals appearance since 1973. So the Phoenix Suns will play the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns have home court. So uh, they will be able to host games 1, 2, 5, and 7. Game 1 of the NBA Finals is Tuesday, July 6th at 9 p.m. on ABC. 
Now just some news and notes from the NBA. Nate McMillan, the interim head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, has been given a four-year contract to become the permanent head coach. And this has been the Sports Update with J-Rob. Have an awesome week. All right, T-Crew, it's my favorite part of the podcast where we get to do a deep dive into something that I want to shine light on or that I've been interested in. So the last few weeks, we've been doing pretty serious topics. So I was like intentionally trying to find something more light and fun. We just, a lot of us came off a holiday weekend recently, a long weekend. So let's get into something fun. So this is (laughs) a two decade old scam that has been perpetuated to a lot of people because it involves one of our favorite snacks here in America, Flaming Hot Cheetos. So let's get into it. This is the Flaming Hot Cheetos scam, (laughs) y'all. So Richard Montanez is a creator. He's a public speaker. He's an author. And, you know, he just motivates people on his Instagram, on his social media pages. He promotes himself to be a motivator. And on top of that, he promotes himself to be a grassroots person who built himself from nothing to, you know, a millionaire CEO. So basically, he had humble beginnings um, as he started his career as a janitor for Frito-Lay. Um, and to tell his story, he says, you know, he built himself from a janitor to an executive based on the idea that he had for the very popular snack, Flaming Hot Cheetos. So according to Richard, he had used some of the spices that he had used in his um you know, Latinx cooking, different spices that he has seen his mom use and his aunts and stuff like that. And he wanted to use that with the, um, with the Cheeto puffs because Cheetos had already been invented by this time and they were a popular snack, but they were trying to do, you know, different flavors of Cheetos, trying to make them like competitive with the Dorito because the Dorito had the nacho cheese, they had cool ranch, they had spicy hot. So it was like, you know, they were trying to do the sim- a similar thing with the Cheeto that they were able to do with the Dorito. So make it have more flavors. So according to Montanez, which is important to note, this is his story. He developed um, Flaming Hot Cheetos. He presented his idea to a boardroom full of Frito-Lay executives. They loved it. Um, They had him start working on some test batches of the snack and they brought him on um, as an executive at the end of the day because they felt like he was able to produce this snack and he had other great ideas that he could use at Frito-Lay. Well, basically, you know, Richard had told this story over and over, you know, he had made it seem like this story has now become legend. This is how the Flaming Hot Cheetos were born. There's no other way possible that this could have happened. Like people never um, really questioned it until an expose came out in the New York Times, the good old New York Times, I get to the bottom of it, of a developer who actually did work on the Flaming Hot Cheetos brand. And she came to the New York Times and said, you know, I'm really sick of this story being told over and over. And I know that it's a lie because she herself had been on the planning board for Flaming Hot Cheetos. And she was part of the creative directors that came up with the idea and was in the test kitchen and was in the focus group and really were 
was one of the people that developed Flaming Hot Cheetos because she said, you know, it was developed like many other snacks at Frito-Lay with a focus session, um, many different tastings of the snack, many different seasonings, flavors that we, we put on the snacks to try to come up with new flavors. So this is how the Flaming Hot Cheeto was actually created. It was not created by um, Richard mixing up a bunch of Latinx spices and, and throwing it on the on the Cheetos. So basically, after she told her story to the LA Times executive writer, and she was able to corroborate everything and make sure that this person was telling the truth, they exposed Richard. And the truth ended up being that Richard did help um, Frito-Lay develop another snack. It was a wildly less popular snack called Rancho Cucamonga. Um, which I guess was some type of trail mix pretzel snack that also had spicy flavors on it. And it was meant to be kind of like a Takis type snack. If you're familiar with Takis, like the rolled up corn chip snack. And he had made that, but they were not popular. They didn't test well. The focus groups, people weren't picking them as a snack that they would buy again and stuff like that. So Rancho Cucamonga snack um, didn't really go anywhere. So in order to like jazz up his story and in his memoir 10 years ago or 20 years ago at this point, Richard wrote his first book in which he talks about developing the Flaming Hot Cheeto and, you know, he dramatized the situation that he had um, developing the other snack and basically just slapped Flaming Hot Cheetos over it. And I think at this point, this is when I was starting to think, like, how was he able to get along, like, get away with this scam for so long if there was people that existed, like the woman who ended up coming forward 20 years later, that actually developed the snack? Like, how was he able to sit there and claim it as his own? Well, there's a few things that actually had a perfect storm for him that made it possible. The first was he was a motivational speaker. He got paid upwards of $50,000 per lecture, and he was speaking live to people who wanted to be inspired and wanted to hear from him. So he was telling the story live with no recording allowed within the lecture, because of course, if you could just play a video of his lecture, you're not going to pay him $50,000 to come back and give another one, right? So... With that information, he basically just told them whatever he wanted to tell them, knowing they didn't have their phones. They had turned their phone in at the beginning of the conference and stuff like that. So he knew he had a captive audience who would not be able to record his lies. And then he just said whatever he wanted to say. And people were so uplifted by it and inspired by it that they really didn't even critique his story or sit there and think, oh, is he lying about parts of his story? No, they just believed everything at face value. So that's one of the ways he was able to get away, get away with it for so long. And then the second reason is the success of the snack was known by very few people that knew the real story. So the people that were in the focus group know how, you know, snacks are made and stuff like that. But like, um, the expose detailed, he had developed a snack with Frito-Lay and he was a janitor 
at Frito-Lay when he started working at the company. So there were bits and pieces of the story that were real, but the main parts of the story were lies and fabrications. So when he mixed in some of the realness, people were like, okay, well, it looks like he really was janitor at Frito-Lay. He really was developing snacks with Frito-Lay. And um, even though the snack that he developed with them wasn't successful, he still was able to work himself up from a janitor all the way into an executive, but it just wasn't with the snack that he said it was. So there was a lot of moving parts in there, but a lot of the things or some of the things that he said were real mixed with a lot of the things that were not. And he had, like I said, the perfect storm of believability when it came down to telling his story. And um, this is really how he got away with it for so long. Another interesting tidbit, Eva Longoria was actually going to produce a um, movie about him based on the memoirs that he wrote. So Richard Montanez wrote two memoirs. The first one was just about, you know, public speaking and how he got into it and how he encouraged himself and others. And then the second one, he really talks about the Flaming Hot Cheeto and how he went from, you know, a janitor to an executive and all the things that he did to create the Flaming Hot Cheeto and believing in himself to um, have the potential to be an executive, even when he wasn't working in that type of way beforehand and things like that. And she saw it as a great American story and she was going to develop a movie behind this. And I think that's another reason why the small group of focus group of people that actually developed Flaming Hot Cheetos finally came out and said, listen, he's about to sign a movie deal for these two books. He's already making you know, tons of money per lecture, per speaking engagement, somebody has to tell the world that this man isn't who he says he is. So I think that really was the nail in the coffin when it came down to them having to hear time and time again, that he developed a snack that they sat there and worked, you know, months and months on to develop and make a big success. So that story just took me, <laughs> I was like, this is insane things people lie about, but it's not, um, minuscule or small because this man has made a multi-million dollar career off of the work of others and kind of perpetuating this lie. So, you know, while it's just a snack and people are like, oh, if he wants to take, you know, credit for it, whatever, it's just a snacker. I'm like, well, first off, it's somebody else's hard work that he's claiming as his own, which just can't feel good for somebody who did sit there in those groups, tasting all that hot stuff and burning their taste buds all off for somebody else to take credit for it. And then also, you know, What's right is right. You can't walk around encouraging people with lies. I mean, it's nice that people were encouraged, but you didn't like that was not your idea, sir. And then to perpetuate it for over 20 years to this day, Richard Montanez says that the people that, you know, say he didn't create Flaming Hot Cheetos are just conspiring against him. He still won't, um, you know, take into account of what actually really happened. And my thought on that is, you know, he's told the lie so many times he doesn't know what's real. He doesn't believe it. You know, he doesn't believe what actually happened, happened. Now he's believing the lie that he's been telling himself for the past two decades. <laughs> but that was our deep dive guys. Stay tuned for our outro comments. All right, T-Crew, this is my least favorite part of the podcast. This is where I have to say goodbye to you. I just want to thank you again for listening to the podcast, streaming it, sharing it with your friends. 
um, over the weekend, one of my husband's friends like told me he watched the podcast or listened to the podcast and he was just talking about <laughs> some of the topics that I was talking about on it. And I'm like, wow, you guys are really listening. It just like brightens my day. So continue to keep doing that so we can get more ears on the podcast. As always, arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. We won't stop until she gets the justice that she deserves. Have a beautiful day or night wherever you are. And I love you for listening. Bye. Thank you.